Welcome back, my friends. You made it back for another week of the What If Project podcast. You have dared to play one more time <laughs> on the show. This is episode 283. Thank you for being here. I'm glad you're here. My name is Glenn, and uh, today we're going to talk to Oren J. Sofer. Uh, Oren was on the show about a year, I want to say it was like a year and a half, maybe two years ago, to talk about his first book. I think it was his first book, uh, Say What You Mean. Uh, that book is like a master class in how to engage in the world of nonviolent communication. Uh, what does that mean? Well, you have you sit down with somebody and you both you're going to talk about a particular issue. And you both have very different ideas about that issue. Uh, We released the episode right before, I think, Thanksgiving that year. Because it's a time where everybody gets together for the holidays with their family. And they sit down with their aunt or their uncle, whatever. Politics comes up. They have one idea. You have a different idea. How do you have a conversation that doesn't make everybody around the table want to run for cover? (laughs) Right? What does that look like? And so the book is filled with so many tools in how to engage in that kind of conversation. Uh, Oren's next book, which is the one we're going to talk about today, came out, uh, I think, the middle or end of last year. It's called Your Heart Was Made for This, Contemplative Practices for Meeting a World in Crisis with Courage, Integrity, and Love. We talk about it in the episode, but there's crisis everywhere, Right. I mean, turn on the news, war, rumors of war. Uh, You've got climate crisis. You have diseases. We have so many different things happening in our world. We have the election coming up, and people are just ready to jump in at each other's throats over who should win the election, who should be in office, all these different things. My goodness, there's so much happening You have shootings, school shootings, so many things that bring grief and sadness and heavy feelings. But layered on top of that, we have our own individual crises, right? The things that we endure on a daily basis, maybe at our jobs or with our families or with a loved one who was sick or or a loved one who has passed away, right? So we have grief, collective grief, and we have individual grief, collective crisis, individual crisis. So in the book, Oren has, I think it's 26 contemplative practices to help us approach these crises with courage, integrity, and love. The book is so good. It is not a quick read. Uh, These practices take time to think about them, mull over them, engage in them, but they're so good, they're so helpful. I highly recommend this book. If there's any book that we have talked about on this show that I could recommend that would help you navigate through the crap in your life and the crap in our world and the stuff that just brings us to our knees oftentimes in tears and fear and everything else, this is the book. I highly recommend you get this book. Uh, Oren is doing such great work in the world He has such a big heart. He is so kind, so gracious, and uh, we had a really good conversation. So I'll put his links in the show notes. Also in the show notes, links to my books, Rethinking Everything, 
emerging from the rubble. Speaking of crises, right, coming out of the, the rubble when our worlds feel like they collapse, uh, coming out from beneath a pile of rocks to take another step forward in courage, integrity, and love uh, to coincide with Oren's book. So anyway, all the books to all the things, all the links to all the things in the show notes. Also to Patreon if you want to support the show financially. If this has encouraged you, inspired you in your journey, that is a place where you can do that. There's also a spot on the website, whatifproject.net slash support, where you can make a one-time uh, donation as well. So anyway, all the links to all the things are in the show notes. This is episode 283 with my friend Oren J. Sofer. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're sitting down with a repeat guest, Oren J. Sofer. Uh, Oren has written a new book uh, that I highly recommend. The book is called Your Heart Was Made for This. Uh, subtitle is Contemplative Practices for Meeting a World in Crisis with Courage, Integrity, and Love. And so Oren, welcome back to the show. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for this book. It's a true gift. Awesome. Happy to be here, Glenn. Thank you. So uh, real quick, before we jump in, you are a new dad. We just talked about this before we hit record. Uh, tell us, because I think la- I think last time you were here, I don't remember, I don't even think this was on the radar at all. So tell us how how uh, how, how are things going? Um, you know, uh, great and hard. Parent Parenting is a rite of passage, and mm-hmm. uh, I feel blessed to have the opportunity to learn from um from my son and from my wife um and i also feel really grateful that i have 25 years of meditation practice <laughs> to uh to draw from both in terms of uh you know having a little bit more patience and perspective but also a lot more access to forgiveness and understanding for myself and my wife when uh, when we fall short Um, and yeah, it, it, it pushes me like nothing else ever has. And, uh, and I really value that opportunity to, uh, to grow as hard, as hard as it can be in times. And it's also been incredibly, incredibly affirming, Mm. um, to see the joy and the wonder and the presence and the generosity that are innate in us as human beings when um, the conditions are supportive to uh, to blossom. And yeah. so uh, that's just been really, uh, really nourishing for me to, to see all of that beauty coming out of our child. That's awesome. Yeah, I think what you said just a moment ago about kind of being gentle with yourself, I feel like that's something that being a parent has taught me because it's easy to go to bed at night and let your mind run through of all the things yeah. Why did I react that way? Why did I do that? Why didn't mm-hmm. I spend more time with this? And if you yeah. if you go there, you can go deep down a rabbit hole. But having that awareness to kind of step back and give yourself some grace and realize that, you know, I did the best I could in the moment. And perhaps exactly. I could do it differently next time, but I did the best I could. Absolutely. All right. So before we jump into the book, uh, can you give us maybe a brief overview uh, of the work? Because there's a lot going on here. And uh, I mentioned before we hit record, 
that the book, I thought the book was going to be one thing. Mm. And then when I got it, it was something entirely different. So when I got it, I thought to myself, oh, like, this is easy. I, I could read this in in a week because I read a lot of books for the podcast, do a lot of skimming, things like that. So then I started reading. And in the intro, you said that a good approach to take might be to actually spend one to like two weeks with each chapter as each chapter kind of explores a different quality that can aid us in showing up each day in, in love, courage, and integrity, as the subtitle says. And so there's a lot here. The chapters are jammed with like all this information, you know, contemplative practices, reflection questions, action points, like so many different things. So all that to say, uh, what is this book? Where did it come from, like in your heart, in your life? And who is this book for? Thank you. Yeah. So I intended this book as a companion for people in their day-to-day lives. It's really a practical roadmap for how to get our inner kit together for a world that is increasingly complex, stressful, and confusing. Mm -hmm. You know, so much is changing so quickly. There is so much heartache and possibility that we are living through during this historical period early in the century. And contemplative practice offers a very powerful and unique kind of medicine for our hearts and our minds and our consciousness. And I feel like it gets relegated to the realm of spirituality and religion and a kind of um, even just self-care and wellness. Mm-hmm. But I see it as an indispensable and practical companion for not only surviving, but being able to contribute more effectively. So my aim in writing the book, I started writing it in 2020 when we all had that shit show of a year with the yeah. pandemic, George Floyd, wildfires out West. And I, as a meditation teacher, one of the things that I could offer were practical instructions and inspiration for how to rediscover and draw on our inner resources, things like courage, faith, energy, gratitude, generosity, compassion for ourselves, as we were just talking about, as well as for others. And that was what started the book. And then within a year, my wife and I were pregnant, which took the book to a whole nother level. Mm -hmm. As I looked ahead to the next generation and thought about this very deep question for me of, hey, I've spent the last 25 years of my life, pretty much my whole adult life, practicing, studying, and teaching meditation, communication, these inner skills, this relational uh, exploration. And here I am about to bring a new life into the world. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to understand more clearly, how does all of this stuff apply to the moment we're living in and how to build a better future for our children? Mm -hmm. And so this is the other aim of the book is not only to help people have a more firm and solid inner foundation from which to engage and meet this really complicated, difficult world we're living in, um, but also to help make some of those connections and provide some clarity about how do we engage more effectively? What are the actual skills that we need to have in our own lives in order to be Uh, responsible, uh, powerful citizens and community members. 
And so that's that's the hope of this book. And it's really for um for anyone who's paying attention and mm-hmm. is concerned, mm-hmm. you know, about about everything in our world. And I don't offer um one prescription. I, mm-hmm. I think that that is simple-minded and short-sighted. More I'm wanting people to have a really flexible and robust toolkit inside so that each person can apply it in the way that makes sense to them. Where did you come up with these 20 there's 26 skills mm-hmm. or practices in the book? Like what what made what made the list? Like did you were these yeah. things that you have like thought back over your life and over your own you yeah. know, time in these kind of spaces? Were there any that kind of got left out of the of the list that maybe you were going to add in there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are. Uh, so the list of 26, which seems like a kind of a random number. Uh, <laughs> the way I came up with that number, as you know, from the introduction is if you do two weeks for each chapter, that mm-hmm. gives you a whole year. Um, and even though the chapters are, you know, packed with uh, practices and information and reflections, they're also pretty short you know, 10, 12 pages. So the idea is that this is something we can actually do in our life, in our our busy, busy world. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I came up with the the qualities. A lot of them are drawn from classical Buddhist teachings. Uh, The Buddhist tradition uh, was an oral tradition before it was written down. And so you end up with all of these lists of different powerful traits that are necessary on the spiritual path. And so I took a step back and I looked at all those lists and I started pulling out common themes mm-hmm. from the lists. And then I also looked at my own life and all of the students and practitioners I've worked with over the years, both meditators and also people learning to communicate, um, people wanting to bring more compassion and integrity and nonviolence into their work, whether it's as mediators, human rights lawyers, uh, police officers. I've worked with people from all different walks of life. And I thought, what are the skills that people need? Mm. And so those were the criteria I was looking at. Most of the chapters can be traced back to uh, Buddhist lists. Although as you look down the table of contents, I think what one recognizes is that these are universal humanistic mm-hmm. qualities things like generosity or gratitude or you know integrity these are these are things that we value in human society and communities across different traditions and cultures um and i also wanted to include things that i found meaningful in my own life and that i i see are relevant for our world something like wonder mm. or play yeah Uh, These are not things that you find explicitly in the Buddhist teachings that I'm trained in, but that are clearly essential to a robust and rich human life and that are also important to sustain us in difficult times. And so what gets left out? Well, of course, there's always more to say than there is space. So (laughs) I I acknowledge that things, there's qualities like, say, humility Mm. or humor Mm -hmm. Uh, or surrender. However, and I talk about this in the the introduction, those qualities are, they're adjacent to other ones and they show up in different ways. So humor shows up in the chapter on play and humility Mm -hmm. shows up in the chapter on renunciation and simplicity. So they, they don't get their own chapter, but they're, they're folded in there. Exactly. They run parallel, right? Yeah. Yeah. So can you give us a, uh, maybe like for our listeners, an example Take us into maybe maybe one of these skills that has been most important to you in your mm-hmm. life, um, in your journey. Maybe talk a little bit about that particular skill 
maybe like one of the practices or two that you mentioned there, just to kind of give our listeners a taste of what to expect yeah. if they pick up this book and they they jump in. Absolutely. Um, well, I'll just start with the one that's kind of the top of my my own mind right now, because it's mm-hmm. one that I've been exploring and practicing with a lot, uh, and that's courage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it takes tremendous courage to open our eyes and our hearts to the realities that we are living through, whether we're talking about the ecological crisis, the disintegration of democratic structures in our society. I, I don't need to run down the list, right? There's a lot of, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things going on. And it, it's really easy, you know, to just not want to get out of bed in the morning or bury our head in the sand or just put our head down and focus on I'm just going to focus on what's right in front of me and not deal with the rest of that stuff because it's so overwhelming. So yeah. this is one of the themes that runs through the book is how how do we find the right balance so that we're not overwhelmed and flooded. Mm-hmm. Um, we're able to focus on the things that we can do and not you know, overly stressed with things that are really beyond our control. One central aspect of that is courage. Why? Because we can't actually engage with or change anything if we're not willing to face it first, mm-hmm. if we're not willing to actually countenance it. So one of the personal examples I give at the very beginning of the chapter, uh, since we've already talked about it, was for me, um, I had to really dig deep to have a kid. Took a lot of courage inside to bring a child into a world that is so changing and uncertain, Um, but also to recognize the excruciating vulnerability of loving a being that ultimately we can't protect, that ultimately we need to let go of. You know, I, I went into this experience as, as a meditator uh, with open eyes about the excruciating potential for risk and loss inherent in having children. And that that takes courage. And I commend all parents everywhere for the courage it takes to love, which is to risk loss. So this is just a personal example. Um, so so how how do we how do we develop courage and what what is it, right? So we need to distinguish between courage and fear. We often think of courage as not feeling fear. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the misunderstandings of courage. Courage is actually um, the willingness to move forward and act in spite of fear. Mm-hmm. And we need to understand that sometimes fear is a really natural and healthy signal to danger um, that we can respond to, but that there's a difference between, say, um, a kind of healthy reservation and fear and panicking. Or freezing, right? Our mind can amplify a threat, blow it out of proportion, and then we become less available to actually help or respond. So mm-hmm. courage starts by stepping back, taking a pause with mindfulness, recognizing what's happening, and then getting some perspective, actually distinguishing between what's actual, what am I adding, right? So awareness gives us that possibility to pause, ground, take a breath without fear, letting over. And then the courage, courage comes from the word core, right? Which means heart. 
So it's it's meeting life with a full heart, meeting life on its own terms, rather than through the lens of what we want or what we think should be. Mm. So how do we develop courage? This is where we need to understand um, the importance of working within our own capacities and also being able to stretch. So one of the principles I talk about in the beginning of the book is a trauma-informed approach to developing these traits and qualities um, is to start small, work in manageable bits, and find what gets known in different fields as the the, the stretch zone, the zone of strategic discomfort, right? It's like just a little beyond your capacity, but not so far beyond that you're overwhelmed mm. or distraught. So for courage, for example, it's like, don't, when you start thinking about, okay, how do I have more courage in my life? You need to know where you are first, right? Like what what's too far ahead? What's the thing that I... I want to have courage to look at or engage with, but it feels overwhelming. Don't start there. Mm-hmm. Um, and look back at your life and say, okay, where have I felt courage? Where have I known courage? Where just even in the smallest ways, you know, I, I had the courage to ask for something I wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had the courage to speak up in a meeting and say, you know, I'm a little concerned about this. I, I don't think it's going to work. Mm-hmm. And then we we connect with how that felt know the place inside where you already have courage, and then look for what's the next thing. What's the next thing that's just a little beyond where I'm at that I want to have courage for? Maybe it's having a conversation with your your spouse or a family member about something that's been bothering you that you've been avoiding uh, bringing up that you think they might be open to, but you're a little uneasy about Mm -hmm. it. It's a good place to start, that, that kind of feeling. We identify where we have it, we identify what the next step is, and then we work towards it and develop it. And then there are practices in the chapter for how to do that with a reflection, say a meditation, um, or the kind of action of choosing something specific, setting a time frame, taking some steps towards it, um, perhaps even telling someone else about it so that you've got an accountability buddy. Yeah, I love that. I love that chapter because I was when I was reading it, I was thinking back to... Uh, mm-hmm. My daughter, when she started first grade, she was mm. extremely scared. Like she loved yeah. kindergarten, had mm-hmm. a blast. And then she was all excited for first grade. But we got to like the the day before the class started, you get to go see the classroom, meet the teacher. And she yeah. realized like this is a different room, which I don't think uh, that had registered till we walked in. It's a different room. Right. And so we walked further down the hallway to the left instead of the right. And her regular teachers weren't in there from obviously kindergarten. There's some new kids now in the mix because they mix up the classes when they go to the next grade. And so she realized that everything is familiar because the building is the same, but everything is really unfamiliar. So after yeah. we we did that, we went to the playground and we were sitting mm-hmm. there. She didn't want to play. She sat off to the side, mm-hmm. staring at the ground. Like I could see the fear in her eyes. And I said to her, mm-hmm. I said, Jordan, I said, what's, what's going on? And she said, nothing. Yeah. I was like, well, something's going on. You could talk to me about it. So I'm just really mm-hmm. scared about, about mm-hmm. school. Yeah. And so that night when we got her home, Mm-hmm. My wife sat around at the table and we did this thing called the mind table. And Ooh. we told her like, it's okay to be afraid. Everybody's afraid. Everybody gets scared. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, and it's, that's fine. And, and being courageous, like you said, is about moving forward in spite of that 
yeah. fear. And at the mind table, you have all these different feelings inside. You have your happy feelings, your sad feelings, your angry feelings. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, one of those feelings will take a seat at the head of the table and try to control mm-hmm. the whole conversation. And so right mm-hmm. now it seems like fear is really taking over. But yeah. then my wife said to her, remember what happened last year in kindergarten? You were really scared the first day, but by the yeah. second, third day, you didn't even want to come home. You just wanted to mm-hmm. sleep there. You were so excited. And then she started to remember back to that. I think mm. that helped her. But I think to your point with this idea of courage, like you yeah. said, it's it's not about not being afraid. It's about stepping yeah. forward in spite of the, the fear, but remembering right. back to those other times when yes. you were afraid and everything worked out and came together. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that, Glenn. That's, that's really touching. Um, and I love the I love that image. It's one I you know might even use. This reminds me of that movie Inside Out, right? Yeah, the right. <laughs> emotions get personified. But one of the things yeah. I love about the story you just told is um, this this connection between our how our own capacity for courage with our own feelings and our own situations allows us to impart that, inspire that, and be there for others, yep. right? Particularly as a parent, it's like our ability to have courage with our own challenges then allows us to kind of be there for our children in in a different way. Yeah. Um, I mentioned before we, we hit record that this book has been meaningful for me. In in mm-hmm. what in in the way that it is that I didn't think it was going to be has been most meaningful to me in, in my life. And I wanted to share with you a little bit just kind Please. of about what's been going on in my life and yeah, how this book has to. been speaking to. And I thought maybe you could respond to it because mm. I feel that probably I'm not the only one going through this sort of thing, but I'm in this place where like, obviously there's, there's individual crisis, like you mentioned earlier, and there's like collective crisis, right? There's like yes. individual problems and there's the worldwide huge problems. And part of me feels like I was thinking about this the other day, I was writing in my journal and I feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm like this crazy person sometimes because I'm like emotionally exhausted from both of these things. Like my father Mm. passed away back in March and similar to an experience that you describe in the book, I very quickly became aware that I was almost like addicted to avoiding my feelings in particular, like the heavier feelings, you know, of grief. And for me, that's what I picked up. That's what I learned to do in church ministry because in, in church ministry, like as a pastor, it's kind of like ingrained in you. It's maybe not spoken to you, but there's like this unwritten kind of rule that everybody's more important than me. And mm-hmm. so if you feel grief, you feel sadness, you feel anger, whatever, you jam mm-hmm. that down and you stuff it away because you have to get on, you know, with the work of the church. There's sermons to write, there's Bible mm-hmm. studies to lead, there's sick people that you've got to visit, there's mm-hmm. other mm-hmm. grieving people that you have to help kind of make it through, you know, their situation. So when mm-hmm. my dad passed away, I was mm-hmm. like, that's I can't live like that anymore. <laughs> that is mm-hmm. that is not a good way to live my life. Like I need to access these feelings. Mm-hmm. I don't even remember the last time I cried, you know? So I was like, I have to, I have to figure out like where these feel, where have I locked these feelings up? I have to be able to access them. So I went on this journey to really kind of embrace the feelings as they came instead of like jamming them away. Like yeah. when, whenever they came up, I just told myself, I'm going to just embrace them in the moment. Uh, but then we have like collective crisis right and you speak Mm -hmm. like in the book of the climate crisis we have the war with israel and palestine we have all the drama surrounding the election that's going to be coming up um we have you know shootings going on all the time when i drop my daughter for school every morning it crosses my mind you know and that creates some level of anxiety there's 
nuclear yeah. war that they're always threatening, all these different things right, on right. the news. Like you never know what's yeah. going to happen. You're on right. the news. And then go back to individual. Like I feel like, you know, holidays at the time of recording are here. This is the first holiday without That's my dad. Hard. Yeah. Yeah. And we have birthdays coming up in the spring and he's not going to be here for those things. And like all these Mm -hmm. moments that were once all happiness, you know, it feels like there's this cloud of loss and grief Mm -hmm. that's kind of covering. So on any given day, like I said before, I just feel like I'm all over the place. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many times or, and I've had to have like a podcast we're going to record and I've had to reach out to the person like an hour before and just like, I'm just not in a place to do it today because I don't have the mental energy to string together like a coherent thought. And yeah. so individual and collective grief uh, crisis, I guess yes. my question would be like, how how can these practices speak to both? Do they speak to each of these in the same way? Do they change mm-hmm. a little bit for individual, collective? And then even more than that, like, how do you even know on a given day what crisis is affecting you the most? Because like for me, <laughs> some days I wake up and I'm thinking about yeah. my dad, but then I'm also thinking about something that's going on in the world or in right. our culture or whatever it might be. And I feel like that creates anxiety. And then it all gets jumbled up together. And I almost yeah. don't know which one needs to be addressed first, yeah. if that makes any sense. It makes complete sense, Glenn. Yeah. And um, yeah, maybe just to start, just um, uh, just my tender... Just want to offer my my tender heart to you. I think um, I think we had some correspondence when we scheduled the podcast about the fact that you know both of our fathers passed this year. Sounds like within a month of one another. Yeah. And um, so yeah, I can really relate Thank uh, you. to yeah to everything you shared and um, and I just love that you shared that you know just that little tidbit around having what what I see as you know kind of the courage and the integrity to cancel plans <laughs> right yeah. you know it takes a tremendous amount of strength to i think mm. to be real and vulnerable and be like yeah i'm not going to get it together <laughs> because this you know because my heart's more important than pushing myself and overriding yeah. my limits yeah. um so to speak to your question you know how do these practices apply to individual and collective grief how to do you know how can we tease those apart are mm-hmm. there differences in how they apply mm. it's such a beautiful question um i think that there are differences in how we apply them because the the scale of the grief is different mm. um but I think that this I think that they inform each other, you know, so like grieving grieving the loss of a loved one mm-hmm. uh, teaches us. It teaches us something important about, about so much. Uh, but it, it teaches us how to grieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I talk about, like in the chapter on wonder, for example, um, is sometimes I feel like we can close our heart or pull away from opening to some of the beauty or the joy or the wonder in life because it will put us in touch with what we have lost. Mm. So like on a collective level, you know, the more we open to the beauty and the wonder of nature, Mm -hmm. it's inevitable that we will feel and encounter the grief 
of species extinction and uh, ecosystems being strained or decimated and the various manifestations of the climate crisis. Mm -hmm. So I think the application of the qualities, um, it, it can look different. We're cultivating them internally as a foundation and kind of a compass, but then how they show up and get applied is going to look differently. So for example, take something like the ecological crisis. Um, I think the application of a quality like say wonder or courage um, and having space to grieve, that's going to look different in my mind, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're talking about a collective experience and then i so i think it's important to actually have spaces where we can both celebrate and honor the um our connection our intimate relationship with the natural world and also mourn and grieve whether it's just with a friend or with a community a group or whether it's through ritual or doing something to honor um the beautiful places we've known or lost so I think it could show up differently in how it gets applied. Mm. But the second part of your question really interests me, which is, you know, can we can we tease these apart? How do we yeah. tease these apart? I was just reflecting about this this morning. Um, it's it's been a hard year for me, and I I often feel like my book challenges me today to, to, you know, it's like, okay, great. I wrote this book, you know, and it's based on all of my years of experience and I'm still learning from it. Right. I'm still mm -hmm. applying it. You know, it's like, I'm grieving my dad. I'm grieving the war between Israel and Hamas. I'm, uh, you know, challenged in my marriage and <laughs> my relation, you know, being a parent in ways that are natural and expected and it's still hard. And so, um, how do I make sense of all of that? And what what I'm working with in that process is um, is first just this question of of or maybe two questions of like what's true mm. right now in this moment? What's true? And then the next question is what's needed. Right now, in this moment, what's needed, you know, and so sometimes what's true is it's just like my heart hurts mm -hmm. and I feel confused. And and I don't need the answer and I don't need the the program. It's like what's needed is just to honor that. Right. And um so I, I think that one aspect of distinguishing is this capacity to look carefully and honor the truth of our experience mm. um, and then just take the next step, right? And and we all have different agreements in our lives with those mm. around us and our responsibilities. And so um, I feel like the more we can do that, the more space we start to have to, um, to be in right relationship with what's true for us and the relationships that we have with others in our lives. It's like, I don't need to resolve everything in my heart and have it all tied up and clear in order to be present for my son or available yeah. for my wife and so forth. Um, but if I just push it away and avoid it, now I'm actually not um, in integrity with myself. Mm -hmm. And I've shut off to a certain part of my heart, so I'm actually less available 
for those that I love. So it starts, it starts there. And then I think there's a need to, to also, it's not just asking, what do I need in the moment, but it's a, some sense of looking ahead and really is, okay, well, what do I need broadly? Hmm. And, 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 you know, oftentimes I think a lot of what we need is rest and time we need because the questions that we're facing and the feelings we have about what we're going through individually and collectively are massive and there aren't simple answers it's more about finding a way to articulate the questions in a in a in a meaningful way for us and then living in relationship to those questions in a way that is um that has integrity yeah. and um I think that it's difficult to recognize oftentimes that the lens through which we are seeing the challenges of our world is clouded. Mm. It's not clear. It's actually that that very lens, the way we even think about the problems we have, has been shaped by the forces uh, of society, by, by capitalism, by... Um, modernity by various power dynamics and so there's a certain humility to come back to that quality uh of just sort of how can how can i not turn away from these questions but engage with them in a way that's meaningful and uh and has some integrity yeah so there's a, kind of a lot of different pieces there but i hope it touches on some of what you were asking. yeah no it definitely doesn't i love what you said about it you know, not compartmentalizing things because I know for myself, like it's easy, especially in this season of grief that I've been in, I found that my inclination was to put my grief in a box until later. Yeah. You know, like I'm just gonna, I'm going to embrace it, but just not right now. And so I'm just gonna right. put it in the box and push it away so I can do what I have to do, whether it's yeah. focus on being present for my daughter or being mm-hmm. present mm-hmm. for, you know, a podcast or something like that. But mm-hmm. there's been something really it's been very hard, it's been very heavy, very difficult, but something really freeing mm. and kind of letting that grief out of the box to kind of mm. come and make its way into just the everyday, day-to-day type things, you know, like even just with my daughter, you know, she's only six, but like there's been so many moments where it's been me and her alone for the whole day. And you know that that can be trying, you know, it could be difficult when you're trying to work from home, you're trying to do a yeah. lot of different things and you're trying to give your focus to a lot of things at once. And so many times I want to take that grief and jam it away, but mm-hmm. I've actually let it come out. And my daughter said to me like, daddy, you know, is there something wrong? And I've, I've said to her, like, I'm just really struggling with, you know, grandpa not being here and things like that. And mm-hmm. to see her, mm-hmm. then what that does to her and how she then is able to kind of enter into that sphere and to kind of mm-hmm. come in with her own words of encouragement and see her own mm-hmm. heart come alive. has been really an interesting thing to watch, but I would never have experienced that if I would have just jammed the grief away yeah, and got on with my life. So I feel like letting, letting everything kind of come together as one, so to speak, has really opened up a lot of different doors that I wouldn't have seen had I wanted to separate all that stuff. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So um, what would you say like are the, maybe some best practices for people to take this, the ideas in this book and put them into practice? Because you say in the book that there's, readers are going to be on a spectrum of, different familiarity with these things. Some people are going to be more advanced, so to speak. Maybe they've been doing a lot of 
meditation. They've been really into contemplative mm-hmm. practices. So they're going to kind of pick up this book and be like, yes, mm-hmm. you're speaking my language. Whereas other people will pick it up and be like, what in the world is this guy talking about? Like there's so many new ideas that are here, but yet the book is for everybody. It really is. Like, I feel like everybody can, can sink their teeth in it, so to speak, and really apply some different things. So what would be your, your advice in terms of like best practices you say in the, in the beginning, like we said about maybe yeah. taking a week or two with each chapter, yeah. what does that yeah. look like? Like, does it, is it reading the chapter multiple times? Is it really honing mm-hmm. in on one particular piece, depending on where you are? Like, what are those best practices look like for you? If sure. you could wish people to take those things away, what would they be? <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, well, let's start with one of the foundational principles mm-hmm. in the book, um, which is one that I know you're well familiar with just from your own training and, and life and practice, which is that we're always practicing something. Mm-hmm. You know, every day um, there's what we're doing, mm-hmm. whether it's parenting or working or tidying, there's what we're doing, but then there's how we're doing it. Yeah. And the how is what we're practicing. Mm. So are we practice? How are we living? Because that's what we get good at. So we might get good at, to touch on a theme that we were just talking about, we might get really good at compartmentalizing and disconnecting from aspects of our heart or our experience in order to function. Or we could get really good at being a whole human being and modeling for those around us what it is to have the strength to be real Mm. with what it is to be human and who we are. Mm. We can get really good at rushing and being fragmented and distracted, which is what everything in our society is trying to get us to do. Or we can get really good at being um, wholeheartedly present in every moment, which doesn't mean moving slowly. We can be moving quickly, getting a lot done, but not be fragmented, not be um, frenzied or frantic. Exactly. So (laughs) how are we living? We're always practicing something. So this is the central theme to bear in mind every day. Mm. Not just what do I need to get done today, but how do I want to get it done? How do I want to live? How do I want to be present for myself, for those around me, and for this miraculous blessing of being born on a planet such as this? How do I want to do that? So that's the question we're learning to bear in mind. Mm. All of the practices in the book are designed to move from that awareness and then hone in on different capacities. Yeah. So this is the first principle. The second mm-hmm. principle is that if you want to get better at being um, a whole human being mm-hmm. and integrating all the different parts of ourselves and um, embodying the best of what's available to us, our potential, you need to pay attention. (laughs) We have to be able, we have to be able to pay attention to what's happening inside and out. Otherwise we are just dragged along by our habits and by the demands and uh, notifications of the world around us. So how are we using our attention? Can we reclaim our attention? So 
Uh, I think so that's books, chapter one too, isn't that's it? That's chapter, chapter one. Yeah, that's, that's where you got to begin. <laughs> that's why the book starts there. You can't do anything else if you're not paying attention. Otherwise, we're yeah. just on automatic. So we need to be able to first cultivate a little bit of attention. So how do we do that? And then from there, mm-hmm. how do we turn towards whatever particular quality we feel is needed and that we want to benefit from? And this is where I really hope people reading the book feel empowered to skip around, you know, and look, look through and be like, oh yeah, I could really use a little joy in my life right now. Let's, let's go ahead to that chapter, you know, or gosh, I've just been feeling so jaded and, you know, Mm -hmm. cynical. I could use some kindness, you know, I want to sort of soften things up. So reading the chapter is a place to start. Mm -hmm. They're short enough that hopefully one can read it within a few days um, my, my sense is read it at a pace that feels relaxing, enjoyable. And if you get to a passage that like really lands with you, you read something like, oh, wow, that makes a lot of sense. I just stop there and just stay with that for the day to the next day until you're ready to actually move on. And then the basic, the basic practice and many of the practices in the book are variations on this. There are different ways of working with, but the basic practice is we want to identify what is the trait I want to cultivate? What's the way of being in the world, in my life, with others, with myself, that I want to strengthen and have better access to? Mm. So let's let's say it's something like um let's say it's something like contentment. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want to feel less frenzied and always chasing after something and you know a little bit more content or even something like concentration i want to be more focused less less fragmented so the first step is to actually touch into the place where you know that just like we're talking about with courage all of these qualities are things that we already have experienced none of them are foreign to us these are innate human abilities that can be strengthened. So we have to start from what we know. We find a way to connect with it. And that's where the creativity of contemplative practice comes in. Mm. And the point that I make in the book is that there's so many ways to do this. Meditation is just one. Mm. Just like there are lots of ways to exercise and running is just one way of exercising. If you don't like to run, you can still exercise. Mm-hmm. If you don't like to or you don't want to meditate, it's not the right you know form for you, no problem. Mm-hmm. So identify the quality, know how you experience it, where you felt it or noted it in your life. And then how do I remember that? Mm. How do I actually create a connection in my mind? How do I strengthen those neural networks? How do I send a little bit of mental energy down that track? It's, oh yeah, that's what it's like to feel content. Mm-hmm. That moment after I finish eating a meal where I just sit back and go, ah, ah. Right. Or the first sip of coffee of the day or first sip of a hot drink and you go, mm. no. and there's that, there's that moment of contentment. It's fleeting. It's based on sensory uh, stimulation. Fine. Doesn't matter. It's actually a moment of contentment. Mm-hmm. So you identify that experience and then you want to create an association. You want to create a way of remembering it, of coming back to it in image, a word, um, even a certain position, you know, maybe for contentment, maybe, you know, you interlace your fingers together and you feel like, oh, that feels good. That that feels like it reminds my whole body of what it's like to be content or concentration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have an image of somebody, you know, a moment where you're really concentrated or um, a certain gesture that you can make with your hands. So you identify a way of connecting with it. 
And then throughout the day, and this is where the mindfulness practice supports us as often as we can, mm-hmm. how do you come back to that? How do you yeah. how do you just set a little reminders, a little pause here and there to come back to that touchstone for this is how I'm wanting to live today. This is the skill I'm wanting to develop. This is the way of being I'm trying to encourage in my in myself and just little by little it builds up slowly slowly every day a little bit a little bit and that's why i feel like it's important to take it slowly you don't we don't have to rush through the book there's so much other things to do in life so it's like <laughs> fine you know just just focus on concentration for a week or two focus on just being yeah. like really present with just one thing and if you give yourself actually a week or two to come back to that it'll grow yeah. it'll strengthen yeah what I love too, and you alluded to this before, is that it's not, this is a toolkit, right? It's a tool belt. Mm-hmm. Not every practice is necessarily going to feel like it applies to every situation, but it's a matter of having these different things in your belt. So when you come across a particular issue or a crisis, whatever in your life, you have these different things to pull from that you're able right. to use in the moment. So I think for me, like I'm that person who likes to master everything. It's just like the way that I'm, I feel like I'm wired. And yeah. a lot of your teachings, and I've uh, talked to people like Sebane Selassie has been on the yeah. show. And like yeah. a lot of you have really taught me to kind of slow down and realize that you don't have to master everything at once. You know, you can just take mm-hmm. it slowly and you can just try to apply what is needed for the moment. That's right. In the moment. And the beauty of that, Glenn, is that, you know, these qualities, even though there's like a chapter on each and different practices, yeah. they're all connected. Yeah. Right. So, for example, if we're practicing concentration, let's say, which I, I I mention that one because I feel like it is a skill that is so sorely lacking in our world today because of the influence of technology and the pace of our lives and the attention economy and yeah. all of those factors. And it's one that is not only um, incredibly helpful in mm. terms of being effective, it's actually one that's really healing. Mm. You know, to be focused in a wholehearted and relaxed way, um, it feels great. (laughs) You know, when we're in the zone with something, it's like, oh, it feels so good to just be in my groove and be able to give my attention and my energy to something like that feels really nourishing for us. So if we're practicing concentration, if we're we're using the skills and the tips that I offer um, in the chapter there, guess what? We're also practicing letting go. Mm. We're we're practicing contentment. Yeah. We're practicing ease. Yeah. We're practicing curiosity. Like all of those are factors that are necessary and support concentration. So they're all present. They're all coming yeah, in. It's true. just that the one that's in the front, the facet we're focusing on is the concentration. And so yeah. it's like that with many of the qualities, the whole is greater than the yeah. sum of the parts. So yeah. we just choose what's needed and the other ones come along naturally as mm. we practice. And I guess the more you work on one, you kind of strengthen your ability in the others, right? And so then you work on one over here, you really strengthen something over here as well. So eventually they all start to really come together to make one massive tool belt. <laughs> they do. And it's it's even better than that in a way, because it's not just what you said, which is the more you practice one, the more you're strengthening the others, and then you're kind of able to move, move adjacent. And mm-hmm. But actually, the more you practice any of them, yeah. we get 
we get better at the process of practicing. Mm. It's like that underlying mechanism of, of training our heart and mind to mm. embody the fullness of what we have access to as human beings, that gets stronger. Yeah. The very mechanism mm. of, of, of shaping our inner life gets uh, honed. And then we have this, this instrument, this capacity that we can start applying to anything. Well, Oren, this has been a lot of fun, but we're just about out of time. But this has been great. Your book is great. You're great. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for your work. I appreciate you. Ditto. You too, Glenn. And uh, real quick, uh, where can people go to connect more with the with the book online? Any kind of website you have set up you want to direct people to? Absolutely. Uh, my website, orenjsofer.com, is a great place to find out more about my work. And the book is available uh, anywhere books are sold. Your heart right. was made for this. I saw it in my bookstore the other day. It's there. <laughs> awesome. 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 Thanks, Oren. Thanks for having me, Glenn.